Hey, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is the show where we help you get better at doing the hard things that make life exciting. Today on the show, I've got Gillian Brooks joining me. Gillian is a social entrepreneur. She is the founder of My Kids Village. She is really passionate about developing flexible work and addressing inequality issues in the workplace, uh, especially from a remuneration design perspective. I want to say a quick thank you to Digby Scott for putting me in contact with Gillian. If you're listening, Digby, cheers, mate. But really fascinating conversation with Gillian today about all about going out on your own, about designing goals that work for you, about her journey and some of the challenging things that she has had to to overcome with it. I hope you really enjoyed today's conversation. Thanks so much for getting uncomfortable with Gillian and I today. Gillian, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thanks for sitting down with me today. Thank you. Um, and I should thank Digby uh, for putting us in contact as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, yep. thanks Digby. Probably one of the most popular guests on the on the show actually. Right. He's had a, his episodes have had a few downloads. So Digby, if you're listening, hi there. I usually like to start off though just asking people, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, yeah, what's my story? So I grew up in the UK. I was born in South London in 1981. Uh, it was, yeah, I'm the youngest of three children. Yeah, that was kind of where it all began, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember anything, any formative experiences from your youth that have kind of pointed yeah. you in this direction? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think I was always quite, being the youngest of a family of five, and my two siblings are quite a bit older than me. So there was always that sense of being surrounded by the grown-ups. And so I guess I was always trying to make sense of what was going on around me, because it was always slightly out of my reach so I think I quite enjoyed kind of conversations and understanding what was going on and that kind of thing and then another big influence on me I guess was would be um my dad he was a business owner he ran his own business that ended quite abruptly he died when I was 11 so I think and the circumstances of that were his business folded or was folding during the recession and then Sadly, he, he took his own life when I was 11. So I think what that meant for me was I was quite intrigued with economics from quite a young age because obviously for something that dramatic to happen mm. um, at a young age that was all tied up with... I remember some of my conversations with him when I was, you know, kind of at that age. He was explained to me what, what a recession was and how it meant that money stopped going round. And, you know, that conversation's always kind of stayed with me, really. So that I'm trying to understand how people interact with the economy has always fascinated me, I guess. And I guess there's quite a deep-rooted reason why, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank, you for, thank you for sharing that. Where did that lead you? Well, you know, I always enjoyed school and stuff, so I, I, I was quite keen to get to university. And towards the end of school, when I, you do your A-levels in, in the UK, or certainly did at that time, I picked economics as one of my A-levels. It was the first time I got the chance to, to do study economics Mm. I took to it like a duck to water you know like I'd always been all right at school and I'd always done okay but I'd never been oh my goodness this is my thing but when I first went into my first economics class I was like oh I found the thing that I really love and it all kind of started fitting together from there so I did my A-levels 
went to university, studied economics and international business there. And then right towards the end of my third year at uni, I started asking some bigger questions. I suddenly, I just got the sense that I got bored with what we were reading, if I'm honest, you know, you're mm. doing all that study for your final exams. And I just felt like I was reading the same old thing and it was a bit dull. So, <laughs> so I went to the, on a, I was at a campus university and we had a, an on-site bookshop. And I went in, I looked at the economics section and there was this front cover, like staring out the door. Some bookseller was obviously trying to make a point, I think. <laughs> it said globalisation and its discontents. And there was me in the middle of all these, you know, courses being taught the, the wonders of globalisation mm. and the miracle of international trade um, and what it was doing to bring kind of emerging economies and develop their GDP growth and all this kind of thing. And, and that's what I was being sold at university. And then, so to see this title written, and when I looked more closely, it was written by a Nobel Prize economist, uh, Joseph Stiglitz. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. So I bought the book and I read it. I was taking a bit of a gamble because mm. time was tight. Um, obviously with your exams looming. And I, I just inhaled this book. Like it just changed everything for me. And I started quoting it in my exams and, you know, kind of, and what it did is it gave me a, an understanding about what else, a, a different perspective on what was actually going on with the economy and what it was, you know, the impact, impact it was having on on the social side of the country's welfare, not just the economic side of welfare. Was that a point of view that you just weren't aware of yeah, beforehand? Yeah, yeah. Like, it had never come up in any of our lectures and any of the readings we were being, you know, kind of advised to read. And all of a sudden, I, d I felt like, I felt really duped, you know, I felt like my lecturers had, had been hiding something from us. And... I thought, well, what's the worst that can happen? I'll just start. I, I kind of would write my standard answer to these, these exam questions and then I'd throw in a bit of Stiglitz to show a different perspective on what was going on and some of the criti criticisms of, of what was happening in the, the world economy back in 2003. And all of a sudden my mark shot up. So I remember my lecturer coming and finding me on campus once after he'd marked my paper and he was like, oh my goodness. That was brilliant. Like, you've, you've been reading. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I guess I have. So yeah, it felt like a gamble at the time, but mm. I guess it, it paid off. And it certainly informed, you know, that curiosity ever since. Were you kind of naturally curious beforehand as well? Yeah, yeah. Naturally curious and fiercely independent, I think. I think that's probably the Power, combination. A powerful and dangerous combination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. My mum's always told me I've well all my family was said oh you're you know very independent I think that's that being being the little one in the family you want to mm. you don't want to be babied all the time you want yeah. to show that you can do it I can do it myself you know? yeah yeah you have, you have to fight <laughs> for that independence um, yeah. no, I'm, the, I'm the oldest in, in the family so fascinating so uh, post-university what yeah. did you get into so I wanted to get a graduate job and get some training and you know kind of crack on to my career really is what I wanted to do I got accepted onto one of these programs you know like a management training program for graduates it was fine I learned a lot it was great but it was for a bus company and what I saw the practice that I saw when I was there I kept finding it really grated against me because there were these assumptions built in that that they would rely really heavily on 
over time for bus drivers to have to work all these hours and they would do split shift. I'd talk to the bus drivers, like, because they were the ones training me. I had to learn to drive a bus and all this stuff. It was, it was quite cool. And as I was talking to these many guys, I just kept hearing the same story, you know, like they couldn't afford not to do overtime. They'd have to work at least six days a week to keep the, you know, just keep the bills paid and they never really got to see their kids and their families and their wives and stuff and I just thought oh, you know this isn't good enough yeah I just I learned a lot there but I quickly realized that that probably wasn't the right industry for me because the the idea was that they kind of as a graduate you then go into operations management and I remember having to, I was doing it I was acting assistant operations manager for a few months in this depot and I remember having to do these disciplinary meetings I was 22 at the time so what a year a bit year and out of uni doing disciplinary meetings with guys that were old enough to be my dad because they'd had a slight I don't know they might have hit a signpost by accident or something with their bus and and then I was having to make these decisions on what disciplinary action we would take and what the precedent was and and I just thought oh my goodness what am I doing this is awful and I just I just remember thinking this is just not this is not for me at all I, I felt it felt all wrong so I was like I think I need to go into HR because <laughs> because the culture of the place the way decisions are made the the power of the managers it just all felt out of balance for me and I kind of I liked the idea of growing and developing people to bring out the best in people inside organisations. And I realised then that human resources was a better fit for, for what I wanted to do. So I, I left there after a couple of years and then started my career in human resources. In going into human resources, did it give you the stuff that you thought it was going to? Uh, yeah. Yes and no. It, it did for a long time. Yeah. It did for a long time. And it still does to some extent. I, it's one of those things that I can't let go of, I suppose. It's a, it's a profession that I feel really passionate about, that I can see the potential for. And I want to be part of growing, growing the HR profession, I think is probably where I am now. And I think, so I kind of moved into HR about 2005 and I've been, you know, kind of doing doing HR stuff pretty much ever since. And the, the stuff I love is designing organisations where, like I say, it brings out the best in people so that it benefits the business and, and the well-being of the people that work there. Yeah, that whole trying to get a win-win mm. um, inside organisations is kind of what I like to do. Through the industry, how has that evolved that you've been involved with with HR? I mean, um, kind of yeah. looking at it from an outsider's perspective at the moment, like there's a lot more talk about that. And I don't yeah. know if it's just the social media algorithms showing me that <laughs> stuff because I, I click on some of them. If it's kind of industry, it's across yeah. multiple industries. I think it, I think it's, it's certainly matured. You know, like I remember when I've had my first jobs when I was still back at school you know it's still called personnel mm. and it was very much about you know hiring firing writing letters payroll yeah yeah exactly doing payroll a few kind of disciplinary policies that kind of thing and yeah. that was about that was about your lot and I think it's it's definitely definitely matured a lot since then I think there's still that very much it's it's paying rations first and then you know if you're lucky you'll get to do a nice couple of projects I'd like to see that shift i think particularly now where you see so much change where you know the challenge of artificial intelligence the when you look at some of the trends emerging around the future of work the pace of change and the, the acceleration of of that there's so much potential for hr to support 
a way through that change. What I see is that the best HR people that I've worked with are so, they would love to be doing that stuff, but the urgent, important is all they're resourced to get through. And so there's this sort of frustration within the profession that I see a lot where we know what we'd love to be doing and what would make the biggest difference, but we just can't quite get to it. So I've made the decision to come out of being an employee inside organisations and support organisations to make some of those bigger shifts that they aren't resourced to do without some extra help. Yeah. And going from that change as an employee to doing your own stuff, Yeah. what was the catalyst for that? Was it just a really slow burn of getting more and more frustrated with not being able um, to tackle those bigger issues? Well, that that's one thread for sure. Yeah, that was definitely one thread of it. And then the other was, so three years ago, I started My Kids Village and that came out of a different place really of, of motherhood, you know, so my eldest child is seven now and three years later I had another daughter. So when my youngest was born, I could see, so my, my oldest at that point was about three and a half, I could see that life was going to get quite complicated. Not only have I got two children to kind of juggle with the work, school, daycare, you know, kind of logistics of that. But once my eldest went to school, I could see that term times, school holidays, you know, the nine to three school times versus the, the typical kind of work day. At the time I was working compressed hours. So I was doing 10 hour days, Monday to Thursday. I did that for about five years. I was like, this, this jigsaw puzzle's not going to fit. <laughs> and so the more I talked to other parents who had children that were a bit older than mine, they're already at school and didn't just have one daycare to worry about, but school versus daycare and others. I could see that there was this big mismatch between work life and particularly school life. And most families now needing both parents to be out at work, you know, just financially, if nothing else. I was like, well, why, why are we not solving this at a system level, at a society level? Why are we kind of allowing this mismatch between, you know, kind of traditional work hours and school hours to just be down to the individual families to solve? It just seemed crazy. The school pattern and the work pattern had evolved from such different places. And we were just going to live with that. You know, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't think that was right. So I could see that wasn't going to change that overnight, but I could see that the HR profession had something to give there in terms of the, the employment side of things. But I thought in the meantime, what parent, what I wanted was access to all the childcare options that were in my village, if you like, so that I could at least see how to fit the jigsaw together. So that's where I started my kids village, which does that you know kind of it's now it started out in Wellington it's now across the whole country where parents can go and search for providers in their area for childcare or holiday programs or after school care and that kind of stuff just to at least give some visibility to how to solve the problem in the meantime while it still doesn't fit yeah I mean it's a fascinating problem as well because it's really it's evolved within a generation yeah because I mean yeah. just thinking back that and I mean we were growing up I was probably in a reasonably privileged position but my dad worked and my mum was mum right looked, looked yeah. after us and yeah. like she did some she did some part-time work around us probably for her sanity but yeah I mean these days it'd be a massive challenge yeah. to be a, a solo parent or to just have one one working parent yeah as well yeah yeah exactly and, and for me it was that it was that came back to that kind of deep belief I have that 
economies should be centered around people, not the other way around, you know, and it was one of those things that was just really frustrating me that we were just going to let that continue. You know, what was going to be the point at which people said, actually, no, this isn't working for us. It's not just the odd family, it's almost every family. So I kind of wanted to start My Kids Village as a bit of a platform to to not only help solve the problem in the meantime, but also to raise awareness that, that actually this does need solving. And then, you know, from the HR perspective, now I'm working with Amy from Getaflex on building flexible workplaces. So they kind of fit really nicely together mm. as a package for me. And I wanted more time for my kids' village than I was able to find when I was an employee working four days a week. So stepping out on my own, yes, it was a, it was a big shift, a big change. I felt like, I felt ready to do it. And I felt like I knew what I would be doing if I wasn't big job somewhere with a team and all the bells and whistles that go with that. How scary was that though to let go of the security that you had with a, with a job? Well, what a what maybe maybe scary is the wrong word. What what challenges did you face letting go of that security? Yeah, that's a good question. I think what I learned was I mean I'm I'm lucky I, I've got a few people around me you know who have made that jump before. You know, so I knew that there was life on the other side from some friends of mine, which was always reassuring. I think the thing personally that I needed to get right was I wanted to be really clear what it was I wanted to be known for mm. before I made that shift. So, you know, for me, the, the My Kids Village, building flexible workplaces, and then this the third strand I've got, which is reducing income inequality through new remuneration practice is my other thing that I want to want to focus on so I felt like I had a really clear and quite distinct set of things I wanted to work on I think that's then enabled me to say yes or no to whatever has come up and it's working so far I mean it's early days but I'm so happy I've made the made the jump I'm so happy I'm so much more energized by what I'm doing yeah yeah what do you miss about it I don't know I don't nothing at the moment absolutely nothing because I don't know if it's part of being in Wellington or I know I work better with others. So I've got a, at least one other person I'm working with on each area. So with My Kids Village, I work with Sam. Sam and I have been working together on this for, for the last, well, over a year now on building flexible workplaces. It's me and Amy kind of doing that together. And then on the income inequality stuff, I'm building my network and, you know, Max Rashbrook has been awesome and supportive of what I've been doing as well so I know I'm, I don't although I'm kind of going out on my own I'm not really you mm. know and I've still got all my been in Wellington long enough to have a great group of people around me that I can kind of bounce ideas from and that kind yeah. of thing and I think that's that's the beauty of Wellington as well is that there are a lot of people doing really fascinating stuff yeah. as well that if you start talking about hey, here's an idea I have. Sooner or later, someone's going to say, oh, actually, I know someone who's doing yeah. something similar. You should, <laughs> yeah. have a chat to, you should have a chat to this guy or this girl. That's right. Um, That's right. And I think social media is great for that. Like, mm. And especially since I've left employment, I can be a lot more open about what I think and what I'm doing. So I used to work for the public service, which quite mm. rightly, I shouldn't have been quite so outspoken about some of the things I think. And now I can. So on social media, I can, things like LinkedIn or whatever... And people are then coming back to me and saying, oh, that's what you're doing. Oh, I'm doing this. And it's connected but different. So, you know, that can continue to grow and build. And I think there is an openness to that in New Zealand that I didn't see 
as much growing up in the UK. Yeah, I think it feels a bit more like you can just crack on when you live here somehow. I feel that the same as well. Although I haven't always, probably my perspective around that has evolved as well. Because I mean, I, I, I told you when I before we started recording that initially I thought, oh, you go and get a job and then you stay in that yeah. job and that's that's it. But actually, yeah. I think there's probably a couple of factors with that in terms of as society evolves as yeah. well, where we're more open to doing things differently as the pace of change accelerates yeah. as well. Yeah. Part of it is also that I've started looking in different right. places as well. Yeah. So, I mean, these things were, they were probably still there 13 years ago when I started work to maybe a lesser extent, but I just wasn't looking right. in that direction. Yeah. So there's, yeah. I mean, there's always a lot of kind of confirmation bias that you get with the input of information. So I think, yeah, it's more visible and there's a lot of cool stuff, but also it's it's the direction that you look in that plays a big part to yeah. it as well and your yeah. ability to kind of keep a growth mindset yeah. around it as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important. You know, the, the mindset thing, the mental health side of things, um, really important. I mean, I'm, I'm really lucky, you know, like I've blessed with a nice family and you know we've got some amazing friends around us and you know all of those things that I can that help keep me you know feeling like my feet are on the ground rather than Mm. oh I'm out on my own and it's really really terrifying I don't I don't feel like that because I've got all these other things that are very stable which is really really awesome other than kind of having that support network Mm. there for you is there Mm. anything else that you do to work on on your mental health yeah yeah definitely yeah I mean obviously I think for me connection is a big a biggie Uh, so I wouldn't under you know like having not just my family and close friends but you know kind of staying connected to people is really important and my community so you know so being part of St Andrews here on the terrace is is great as well and I think I've started some friends have helped me start meditation practice once a day, for example. And sometimes I manage two minutes, sometimes I manage 10. That's something I always thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea that I never got around to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I am, I'm one of those people that's constantly on the go. And I think I told myself that such a long time that I was mm. like, oh yeah, meditation, that's probably not really my kind of thing, but it's pro- I probably should, but it's like journaling. It's mm. another one. But actually, I gave it a go. We did a 30-day challenge to start off with. And that's about five months ago now. And we're, we're still... Go- well, four months ago, I think. And we're still going. So that's been brilliant. That's really good. And what have you... What benefits have you noticed from that? Just stopping and learning to... What to do with my racing thoughts when they're there. I'm certainly no expert. I mean, four months in is nothing, mm. right? But... I think it's, it's a, a nice better. point, though, to ask the question, though. Like, you don't want to ask this question to someone yeah. who's been meditating for 10 years <laughs> yeah. and they're uh, like, oh, I, I transcend to this ethereal plane and no. uh, just become like a Zen monk. Yeah, um, yeah. It's nice to hear from yeah. people in the early stages because you're like, yeah, this was super hard yeah. to, to do this. And yeah. some days I sit there and all I'm thinking about is the TV program that I watched yeah. last night. And I'm like, I wonder what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I think it's just, it is a practice. And I think it's helped me learn that as well, actually, is that I've realised that, you know, being white European, I have been very goal-driven. And I've started to challenge myself a bit more on that, that it, I don't always need to set a goal. Sometimes it's about developing different practice is the point. Yeah. Not about achieving things. Yeah. 
you know, and I think that's been a bit of a... I'm in the middle of that mindset shift at the moment, yeah. probably. With the, with the goals, and this is a rabbit hole that we're going down here. <laughs> um, so with the goals, you've always been the, like the smart goal to a sort of person, the specific, little, measurable, yeah. attainable, I mean, I don't like down. that one, but yeah, yeah like, yeah. yeah. HR's very good at, you know, kind of doing oh, that. Oh, so, is, so yeah. is the health profession <laughs> from a rehab perspective. So it's always been kind of outcome-orientated, your yeah. goals. And have you dropped goals completely or have you shifted your goals to, hey, what I want to do is I want yeah. to develop a practice. So I want to be someone that yeah. meditates every day or want to be someone that moves my body yeah. every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So yeah, yeah like um, it is, it's about, yeah, things like I want to do meditation practice for a few minutes at least every day. Mm. I want to get some exercise. So I've built that in in all kinds of different ways to my life and you know and some of the things I'm doing as I as I step out into my own practice professionally is yes yeah, a lot of it is about what am I going to practice differently that will get me to where I would like this stuff to go so rather than focusing on the goal I'm focusing on the how does that yep. make sense yeah yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah yeah so what would the person do that would achieve this outcome what practices right. do they put in place yeah you've read James Clear's Atomic Habits. I haven't read it, but yeah. a few of my friends have talked a lot about it, so I'm familiar it's, with some it, of it. Yeah, yeah. it's fascinating, yeah. and it's, it's very much like what we're talking about at right. the moment in yeah. terms of building the habit mm. to become the person yes. that had, yeah. achieves these outcomes. When you set kind of outcome-based goals, and you didn't achieve them, yeah. or if you didn't achieve them, yeah. you, might have, you just might be a high performer who achieves <laughs> all of your goals, <laughs> How did you respond to that? Like, if you don't, if you don't achieve something, well, what reaction the thing is, do you have? Yeah, at first it's that kind of, it's almost like that, you know, that horrible sense of failure and shame and, mm. and it's not a nice feeling. I think, I think one of the things that I, I am known for is being very optimistic and very enthusiastic. Mm. So I'm quite, I think I have this natural tendency to reframe stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm always, I'm always a bit of a bright side kind of a, kind of a person. I tend not to stay in that state of mind for very long. You know, what I tend to do is if something like that's going on that I'm finding really hard, I'll just sit with it, acknowledge it, and then think, okay, right, now what? Mm. And I can then do something with it, you know, and, and then I use my... I'll have a conversation with someone who I know will help support that or go and have a nice long walk in the, in the fresh air or whatever, and then, then I can crack on and reframe it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm lucky enough to kind of <laughs> have that, a similar way of dealing with it and yeah. that I'm a reasonably optimistic person. Yeah. But I was having a fascinating conversation with about goals with someone the other right. day in terms of, again, they, they were working on process-based goals rather than outcome-based oh, goals, nice. which was great, but they'd set the process-based goals as I want to exercise for half an hour every uh. day. So if they got to the point where actually they couldn't exercise for half an hour that day they'd start to beat themselves up about it whereas actually setting a goal around i want to exercise once a day yeah or i want to i want to be someone who moves my body once a day yeah is often a better way to do it because then it gives you a little bit more flexibility and kind of mental agility around that but you could go out for a bike ride for 90 minutes or you could spend five minutes stretching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or in my case, I live in a townhouse, so just mm. doing the washing sometimes feels like a workout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With my yeah. flights of stairs. Yeah, definitely. <laughs>
definitely. <laughs> and I mean, if you're wandering around Wellington as well, yeah, yeah there's yeah, always a hill exactly. in the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can always justify it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're gonna loop back out of that rabbit hole and go back to to my kids' village. Oh yeah. Because I'm interested, like when you started out, what did you see it as, and how does that different to what it's becoming, or is it just the same? Because um, that's interesting too. I think when I set out to do it, getting to that point was felt like a big step in the first place because you know being an HR professional, building a building a web based social enterprise didn't really didn't really have the right CV for it, you know. Yeah. So I needed to go out and find some people that could that could help support that. So that was kind of the first step. And then in my mind, like I wanted to design myself out the way because I knew I wanted this because it was such a purpose driven thing, and I wanted. Ultimately, I don't want any New Zealand family to have to deal with this on their own anymore. Mm. And so I needed to scale it. And to scale it on the smell of an oily rag means that you need to be really, you know, just let the network take over rather than mm. me, me try and control it. And so as we were, as I was working with the, the web designer, Nettle, who have supported it brilliantly, actually, you know, and they were saying, oh, you go and sit down with providers and sign them up. And I was like, no, 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 that's, that's not how I... You know, I need to like, you know, like Facebook, you don't have to have someone from Facebook come and help you sign up when you, Mm. when you provide, you know, create your profile kind of thing. I want it like that. So I think that kind of being really clear on why I was doing it, what it was for, the problem I wanted it to solve, although I had no qualifications really to be the founder or director of this thing, being clear about why I was doing it meant that everything else felt easier. And if I didn't have the skill set, I knew roughly what kind of skill set was missing and what I needed to go and find. I think in terms of your question around what's the difference between where where I saw it going and where it is now, I think it's just the fact that trying to do something like that as a side project is just hard. You know, it's um three you know, if you just asked me three years ago when I started it where I thought I'd be with it in three years' time, I'd have hoped it would be bigger by now, I guess. Um but that's partly why I've you know, I've got to own that decision is that I haven't been putting the time into it that I would mm. love to do because I've been, you know, doing my, my day job, I suppose. And so now I've got more time freed up for it. Um, and that feels really good. I think one of the key differences that I have found is um, the power of the blog um, that I would have known nothing about three years ago. You know, I was focused on matching families to childcare options actually the power of the blog have you know that we've now got as as part of the my kids village website um i love using that that's a that's a tool that i didn't wouldn't have understood three years ago Mm. what that helps me to do is to, to explore this whole topic area of the mismatch between you know work life and kid life um to explore what we mean by the the kids village you know like the role of grandparents for example and the role of our honorary grandparents whether they're the real ones or not and um some of the challenges of parenting today more broadly those sorts of things to get a conversation going not just do you have the right childcare that you need you know (laughs) it's a broader thing than that yeah yeah and i think um there's a couple of things that i want to touch on from what you've just said there but kind of continuing on with this uh, the blog or the the content that you create yeah, basically yeah um is that it is a 
it's really it's really fascinating to do this like coming from a podcast perspective as mm. well is that mm. one it um, it scratches your own itch in terms of yeah figuring stuff out about this the space that you're thinking about and that you're talking about and and looking at developing yeah but also hopefully it sparks ideas in other people about potentially different ways that they could be doing things yeah. or creates connections that otherwise might not be there yeah um, yeah and it's uh yeah it's, it's a really fascinating way to kind of just build a an amazing kind of network yeah of, of yeah. people out there um a couple of things that i wanted to want to go back with on mm. what you've just said mm. is one is the, the th- when you said it was it's hard yeah and i think that creating anything meaningful is is hard and often we like we you start out with these kind of grandiose dreams yeah. and things and like I was guilty of that with the, with the podcast as well um, and then I've been doing it for three years and some people listen and thank you very much to everyone who does listen um, I'm definitely not Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan um, but that, that's that's absolutely okay but it is it is hard work yeah and I think sometimes we kid ourselves when we think that things are meant to be easy yeah because whoever said that life is meant to be easy yeah and whoever said that doing something important is supposed to be easy I think that's the thing and I I think so I guess was my I don't think my expectation was that it would be easy either mm, oh I no. think it was probably just my expectations of what you can get done in a mm. year or three years or five years or 10 yeah. years even We're probably like, you know, that's the, the shadow side of my optimism and enthusiasm yeah. probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like yeah. <laughs> it, to me, it was such a, such an evident problem that needed solving. Mm. And, and, you know, the, I guess from a, a gender point of view, you know, that the realization that across the country, this predicament of the mismatch was disproportionately falling to, to the mums and the, the mm. women and um and I thought oh like this has this has to change this is a this is a big deal and um and so for me it's such a such an obvious area that needs a lot of attention um and you talk to other you know I talk to other people obviously a lot about it and everyone gets it I've not met anyone yet who's like really you started that that was a weird thing to do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so it's not that it's the wrong thing, I don't think. It's just um, it's just hard doing it mm. in your spare time when you you know when you're working mm. and you've got your kids and you're trying to still you know keep the washing going and all that stuff. You yeah, know? it's just hard to fit it in, really. Yeah. Yeah. But would you rather not be doing it? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was hoping for that answer anyway. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think it's um, sometimes when you start doing something like you're doing, actually having a little bit of naivete around Mm. the amount of work that it is going to take is a good thing. Yeah. Because sometimes you would scare yourself. Yeah. um, That if you say, hey, actually, it's going to take 10 years to get it to the point where, where I see it. Yeah. In the scheme of life, ten years is not a whole lot. No. Like modern modern medicine, modern science. Yeah. You'll probably live to we're at least a hundred. So yeah. it's what ten percent of your life. 
whereas if you're looking at it from this side, yeah. if, you, if someone says to you, hey, it's going to take 10 years from now mm. to build it, you're like, oh, that's a long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but if you flip your perspective and look at it from a positive point of view, yeah, that's you know, true. It's, it's not much. And yeah. to be honest, what other stuff are you going to be doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Doing doing something rewarding is yeah. 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 It's the excitement in itself. Now, the other thing that I wanted to touch on based mm. on what you were talking about is you've mentioned really understanding why you're doing stuff a couple of times yeah. already. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point. When we're doing anything mm. is to have a reasonable understanding of of why we're we're wanting to do something and it's when when you start out you don't need to to be super specific and the why I found really evolves over time and as yeah. things change and your your circumstances change and I mean having a family is a great yeah. evolution of the why but when you when you're thinking about why you're wanting to do something mm. do you have a process that you go through to to figure that out um I think I've been through a big process actually mm. and I think um, you know, sense making process to really understand well, what's the thing that um, what's the th common thread between all the things that I really care about and you know at first I had all these seemingly disparate things that I couldn't let go of so I've talked already about you know HR as a profession and my frustration as well as um, enthusiasm for it if you like as, and then there was that and then you know, I was reading heaps, even well after my economics degree, still reading heaps about economic inequality. And, you know, that was something that I really, really love to read about and understand and follow, particularly, you know, um, in the global financial crisis decade ago, there was, you know, so much um, literature came out, came from there. Um, and I, yeah, so there was, um, there was this kind of common thread of stuff. And I, um, going through a really big process like so we talked about Digby earlier so being on the change makers program actually is where I've really done all that hard work to and it and it is hard work you know trying yeah. to work out oh what is what what's the thing what's my thing um and uh, yeah I kind of about a year and a half ago now I I had this click moment where I realized that it all comes down to putting people at the center of our economic systems. That's the thing I care about most. And so that helps me say no to stuff and it helps me say yes to, to the things that are going to be meaningful enough to drive, drive me to keep going and to persevere. Um, yeah. Mm. How long, like how much work did it, did you put into really understanding yourself yeah. from that perspective yeah a lot um so do you mean how did it look like what was i doing or well partially what yeah partially what were you doing partially kind of also yeah what sort of time how long did it take it? yeah so um about 18 months probably yeah. a year yeah a year to 18 months um and you know really understanding the things um friend of mine she sort of asked a great question notice what makes you angry mm. because those um those are the things that that are kind of hitting a nerve for a reason yeah and um, and my kids village was a classic for that mm. you know that's my 
epitome really of notice what makes you angry and that's where that came from and it was kind of how do you how do you channel that energy into something positive um and then so what I was doing was trying to understand the connections between the things that I couldn't let go of and the things that I really cared about so there was my kids village there was the human resources profession there was um, economic inequality there was you know and connected to that I was reading a lot about um, gender economics um, so this all kind of was swooshing around and um, yeah through kind of lots of different conversations and testing my thinking with some you know good people around me um, I finally just got there one day um, which was great and since since that happened I've just been able to really focus in um, mm. on the things I really care about yeah yeah it's pretty awesome next question kind of following on from mm. that how do you make sure that you stay on top of why you're doing things because again that that evolves over time and changes with uh, I don't that, think with it will I, I think the things I do might evolve over time mm. but the the, the 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 thing that I really care about mm. the you know putting people at the centre yeah. of economic systems I don't think that's going to change yeah. I think that will be my lifelong strand you okay. know that I will yeah, continue yeah. to follow and the way that's manifesting itself is through my kids villages through um, building flexible workplaces and through reducing income inequality mm. with different HR practice. So, um, and there are other things, of course, that you can, I mean, there's endless number of projects you could kind of associate with that, with that kind of, you know, people at the centre idea. But, um, but those are the ones that kind of fit what I can do and what I'm good at. So um, I think that's important too, you know, it's, it's important to, use the stuff that you've got <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i definitely. don't want every project to be like my kids village you know yeah, yeah. and I, I mean i think kind of from coming from a kiwi male perspective most little kiwi uh, boys grow up potentially wanting to be in all black fair enough um not everyone is obviously going to be in all yeah. black because you actually need to be good at rugby as well yeah, yeah, and right. to and to work hard at it yeah. so i think yeah that's an important point as well is that like it's cool to go and test out these things and, yeah. and see if you are good at them. Yeah. Um, but also at some point, if you're not thinking, oh, maybe Don't I punish need, yourself. Maybe I need yeah. to change. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be hard work, but <laughs> yeah. if you just keep banging your head against a brick yeah. wall, then yeah, no yeah, one something, something needs to change a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Gillian, what are the, like, what are the next steps for you? For what you're doing. So I was talking before about that mindset shift, right? Mm. That, um, you know, focusing on how I need to be different. And I think now I know what I want to be known for and the things I want to really focus in on. Um, what I'm doing now is how do I, how do I kind of leverage that, if you like? Mm. So what's the, rather than having lots of one-to-one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one -to -one conversations, how do I have more one-to-many conversations so um you know exploring ideas around um you know getting getting more of the messaging around some of the you know what could different remuneration practice look like to reduce income inequality how do I get mm. that conversation going in a bigger way so um 
for example, you know, that's what I'm focusing on now because um, if those are the things that I really care about and I've got energy for, um, the quicker and further they can go, then, you know, the better, really. Mm. Um, and so at the moment, I'm doing a lot of testing my thinking with people who are different to me. Um, I think that's really important because if I'm only talking in the echo chamber of my social media network, <laughs> then I'm not going to get the challenge I need to hear. So I'm deliberately going out and seeking other um, people from other professions or other, you know, kind of perspectives that can really help shape the way I either present the conversation or the way I actually think about something. So I'm kind of in the middle of that at the moment. Mm. Fascinating. Mm. Well, speaking of one-to-many, there will be at least 12 people that listen to this podcast. So uh, (laughs) you're you're on to a winner with that. Um, But... Have you thought about starting your own podcast? Well, Could do you know, be an interesting one. Yeah, that is interesting. Do you know what? I've been putting a lot of pressure on Digby to start his own podcast. Oh, when I first met Digby about <laughs> two ago. years ago, yeah. he was like, yeah, I'm interested in starting a podcast. And I was like, I'll help you set it up if you want yeah. to. Oh, that's really Digby, nice. start your podcast. <laughs> um, he would be good, actually. I'd listen to that. Yeah. Uh, I could just... I could listen to him for hours. Um, <laughs> but yeah, something to think about for you. Oh, interesting. Gillian, I have some questions that I like to ask everyone towards the end of the conversation. Mm. Uh, I can't remember if I sent this through to you or not. Oh, uh, you probably did, probably but don't did, worry, don't, I'm not... Yeah. I hope you didn't prepare. No. First one is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did, and how did you get through it? Um, well, I guess the last big uncomfortable thing I did was quitting my job and going mm. self-employed, really. Um, yeah, so I think that was that was uncomfortable, but I put enough around to make it feel safe enough to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So kind of a relative safety sort of yeah sort of sense. Yeah, that and there. you know, I sort of said to my husband, like, well, what's the worst that can happen? I, if it doesn't work, I'll get a job. Mm. You know? You're reasonably employable. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do, and why is that uncomfortable for you? Oh, um the next thing I'm going to do um oh well I'm thinking about putting out a um an open letter to chief executives challenging Mm. them um to think differently about remuneration inside their organizations so that's kind of a bit uncomfortable yeah when are you when are you going to do that um I'm just working out how the technicalities of my new blog on my other website so once I've sussed that I'm going to publish it there I was hoping if you know, if I was really lucky, I was hoping it might get um, picked up by um, the media. But um, if not, then I can at least just spread it far and wide as far as I can. Mm. Mm. I will. I'll send you a message in a little while to uh, make sure that you have done that, because actually, an interesting thing happened from one of my podcasts uh, with Nick Morrison, who oh. uh, he. He wrote an open letter to the Environment Minister, Nick Smith, at ah. the time, uh, which got a lot of got a lot of coverage. Um, yeah. He was one of the founders of the Bags Not campaign to get rid of plastic right. bags, um, and he started his own consultancy nice. uh, from from well, not from this podcast, but yeah. I like to think that it was a nice challenge a nice to challenge. to him yeah. For, yeah. Uh, to to get in there and, and do that stuff. So. Not to, not to like sell you, uh, sell you up too much, <laughs> um, but yeah, interesting. I think interesting things will happen when you when yeah. you do that. Yeah. 
We've talked about this already, but do you have any other strategies that you use when you're approaching uncomfortable situations? Um, yes, I do. I try and focus on why I'm doing it and mm. the impact on, you know, for um, a positive way of the impact I want to have on other people rather than getting too wrapped up in my own head. Mm. So that's, I'd never do anything if I just thought, oh, but what might I look like? Or, you know, just focus on the why. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Uh, I've got a couple of other quick questions for you, but mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you so Aww, much for thanks. taking the time to sit down and have a conversation with me, yeah. but also thank you for all the amazing stuff that you're doing as well Aww. in terms of helping parents, helping uh, society develop more flexible work practices, yeah. look after kids and reduce income inequality. Yeah, it's, thank you. It's amazing work. Yeah, thanks very much. If people are really interested in mm. the stuff that you do, mm. how can they find out more about it? How can they jump on board? Um, to the, the best way to do that is to check out my website, um, which is gillianbrooks.co.nz. Um, and there's stuff on there about what I'm doing and contact details and that kind of thing. So that's probably the quickest way. Cool. And yeah. I will link that up in the notes for the show. Oh, thanks. Final question for you. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Oh, challenge. Um... What's your, you know, what's your version of that purpose question for yourself, you know, and, and how clear are you um, on what it is? So, you know, obviously mine being the putting people at the centre of our economic systems. Um, what's yours? That's my question. Mm. That's a good question. Mm. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with well, me thank today. Thank you. There you have it team, I hope you enjoyed that fascinating conversation with Gillian. A couple of quick thanks before we tie things off. Thank you Jylan for your awesome editing skills buddy. Thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you as always to you guys for taking the time to get uncomfortable with Gillian and I today.